Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 424. My name is Noah. My name is Wes. Hey, Wes, joining. This is your like video debut. You're finally your your face is here. This is it. That's right. I exist, everyone. Thank you for listening to my voice on Linux Unplugged, and it's really it's great to be here. You're not you're not a hologram. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to be here. If I had to come up with a single word to describe the show, I wouldn't be able to do it, and Telegram would interrupt me anyway. Because amazing, Uh, these are all words. No, it wouldn't cover it because the show is going to be the show is going to be incredible. We're going to talk about not going to talk. We're going to show you what you missed out at Southeast Linux Fest just a couple of months ago, well, last month really. Um, We were so busy with our 10th anniversary episode that uh, we didn't have a chance to air some of this footage, and so we have some uh, some interviews that we're going to show you. We're going to go out on the floor and show you all what you missed and what you can look forward to next year if you decide to go. Plus, in the new segment, uh, Evernote really sucks. We are finally 1% closer to the Linux desktop, which makes me super happy. And of course, we've always got the feedback. And Wes, do you know what else? That's my line. Don't say it. The picks. Oh, I was going to say it. You're, I know. You just jump right in there fast I, enough. Though. I know, but that's my, I say that every week. It's you your line. I understand. I yeah, understand. Yeah. So you can't take my line. All right. So uh, the, the picks are going to be pretty cool. We actually, I'll show you, Wes. Uh, I Actually, you have the first one is the Runs Linux, which is, do you know what tomorrow is, right? Oh, it's the 4th of July. It's America the, Day. It's the 4th of July. And do you know what we do on the 4th of July? Uh, celebrate America by blowing up small parts of it. Bingo. And do you know what you can use to blow up small parts of America? I'm going to guess Linux. Linux. You can use Linux to blow small parts of America. And so our runs Linux this week is a guy who took a Raspberry Pi and uh, the 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 uh, and 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 blue fireworks up with it. And so basically, what he does is he's That's got awesome. a little he's got a little Raspberry Pi, and he has a Bluetooth module that he has synced his whatever phone to the uh, to the Raspberry Pi, and he can send these detonation commands. And basically, what he's done is he's taken a small oh, ten ohm wow. ten ohm resistor, and it and taken the resistor. And what's happening is every time he hits one of those buttons, the Raspberry Pi running. Genius slash Linux is is heating up one of these 10 ohm resistors until it ignites the fuse and then oh, the fuse lights so up cool. and then kaboop kablooey. It's really a nice demonstration. Isn't that great? I think that's uh. awesome. Like I was like, hey, I can blow stuff up with Linux. This is amazing. So our runs Linux is fireworks and they run Linux. You can blow this things up with Linux. This also seems like a great template for like, you know, you want to have maybe a little more organized display, but you also don't want kids running around like lighting off fireworks at random. You can have this all like pre-programmed, orchestrated, and ready to go. Exactly. Now, Wes, did you have any 4th of July plans? Uh, yeah, I was going to go. I have a friend who lives in downtown Seattle. We are going to go up to his high-rise apartment and watch the city production fireworks. Okay, but you haven't done it yet? I have not, no. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I already did my 4th of July plans, and that oh, was this week. You? Yeah, that was this week, and we went out to my brother-in-law's. And one of the things that I was I was doing for the first time is I bought I bought a 12-volt TV, so I could use it in my little pull-behind oh, travel trailer. Yeah. Right. The, the, of course, I wanted to have media for the kids to watch and myself to watch. And I'm getting ready to go, and my wife's standing at the front door, and she's like, I got the kids packed up. Let's go. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. And then it dawns on me. I have not had a chance to copy a bunch of movies over to 
my oh, little right. portable yeah, hard drive that I'm taking. Content. Right. And I'm a local guy. I don't do this cloud sync-a-ma-jig. Cloud syncing. Not me. No, it's going to be local. So I am, I'm sitting here at the very last minute and I'm like, I need a way to get this content, all of these movies over to this little portable hard drive. I don't have remote access to my home file server because I got personal data on there and it seems like a bad idea to open that up to the internet. So I, I, I kid you not, I open up my web browser, I go to digitalocean.com and I actually spun up a droplet in like 35 seconds oh, nice. and, and started That's an SCP yeah, and then started an SCP command to ours or to, to copy a bunch of my files up to this freshly created digital ocean droplet. And so I, I copied up like five or six movies. Then we got to my nice. in-laws and we were able to, I was able to download all of, uh, all of this stuff and all of these movies onto my little portable hard drive. And then we had move, movies to watch. And it was, it was one of those things I started thinking, I was like, man, people just, People just don't get it unless you've right. been put in those situations where you're like, I need a virtual infrastructure right this second. And how do I get it? And uh, we have a promo code as well. Uh, you'd think these are the things that I would know after hearing it. I think, is it. Is it here's the thing or is that a ting thing? Rakai's no, going to tell me sure any second, any second, I will receive a secret lullogram and Rakai will tell me what the uh, what the secret code word is. Um, I'm pretty sure it's here's the thing. Um, the, the, the important point is how easy that hourly pricing makes it. You can be like, how many gigabytes do I need to store this? Okay. Exactly. Bam, I only need it for like the length of the transfer. And there you go. Exactly. And I was right. It is. Here's the thing. See, that's my signature line. So you think I'd know that. <laughs> Maybe uh, you should get it branded on you. Yeah. So we started to do, I started to work on the show notes and in the middle of the night, uh, Rotten Corpse uh, telegrams me and he's like, Hey, do you have app picks for this week? Cause I have a suggestion for you. And I was like, I have some app picks, but, you know, they might not be the best. So if you have suggestions, throw it at me. So he comes at me with the coolest app pick ever. It is uh, Rambox. Uh, I'm going to screw this up. Pro. Rambox. Rambox. Yeah, Rambox.pro. Rambox. That's right. And basically what it is is a messaging system that it integrates everything. So you can use you can use Slack, you can use Telegram. If MSN Messenger were still thinking, you could use that. AOL right. Instant Messenger. And you can collaborate all of these Messenger services down to a single uh, confined Messenger platform. And the thing that really hit home with me about this is I use Telegram for everything, much to Chris's annoyance. Is I use. I mean, for, I use it a lot for a lot of things too. Yeah. Uh, do you use it for notes? So I totally understand. Oh, I don't know about notes. Have you put I mean, recipes in Telegram? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've definitely taken taken recipes into Telegram. Have you stored music in Telegram to play at a later date as an MP3 player? Oh, Have man, you stored no. video clips so that you can it bring them up like and show you, friends? Uh, need a fuse file system for this yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I use Telegram for everything. Okay. But part wow. of the, part of the reason is I like having that central dashboard place that I can, that one place right. that I can you go. Know it's, everything is right there. Exactly. And I, I've even had a couple people in the mumble room, they were kind enough to write an API bot that ties into other things so I can pull in information from other services. Well, it turns oh, out, very nice. yeah, except turns out there's already a service for this. And so, uh, this, uh, this Rambox is basically that service. Um, and so, you know, they, they advertise that they have notifications, sync services, lock, do not disturb, you can add custom services, border and grouping, badges, and it runs in your system tray. It's available for Mac, Windows, and GNU slash Linux. Um, and so you should check them out at rambox.pro. Yeah, it was pretty easy to get set up. I mean, I just downloaded the zip file, extracted it, and they have a precompiled binary that you can just, you know, mm -hmm. plus X and run. I'm sure it's in the AUR. 
Yeah, I've actually been using it this whole time to talk with you, Noah. Oh, did you really? Is, yeah, that's really what you're on right now, huh? Yeah, it's actually working pretty well. So what do you think of the interface? Well, right now it's like kind of just a little, you know, it's like a tab. It's kind of like a tab browser with each of your little things inside of it. But I've only mm -hmm. set up Telegram and Inbox so far, so I don't know. Now, I am interested in like the cross, the you know, notifications across all of my services. That, right. I could see the utility in that, definitely. Now, is it, a, is it an Electron app or is it an actual like desktop app? You know, I actually haven't looked too much. It just ran. Let's look. Let's take a look. Take a look-see. One of the things is, even if it is an Electron app, and Chris touched on this either last week or the week before, just having a separate window that I can alt-tab to, that I can minimize, yes. that has a separate I'm not, icon. Like, that I can click opposed on. Yeah. to yeah. an Electron app. You know, I mean, there, there are disadvantages, advantages, but for some things where you just want it to run, and especially something like this where you're like, once you set it up and sign in everything, it's kind of your one hub. Then I could see that just being the the Electron app that you end up using, and then you have a browser for everything else. Exactly, exactly. So uh, how, uh, uh, you'll have to excuse my ignorance. How does one tell if something is an Electron app exactly? You know, they they can end up being packaged a fair number of ways. So I'm not sure if there's a I don't know great test offhand, but uh, I would imagine just like a PS dash EF and taking a look. It does kind of look type renderer dash dash no sandbox. I'm not an expert, but it is it is definitely running something. Yeah, it does it does look like it's uh, running Chromium or or the Electron framework of some kind. So I would bet that it is. Okay. All but right. Please correct me if I'm wrong, IRC. Yeah, there you go, chat room, get on it. Um, so for our spotlight this week, I I have to I have to give a, a little bit of a plug. We we're gonna do this a couple weeks ago, and then I think it actually got put into like the. Um, to the outtakes, but I can't, I have to give a good plug for this because it was, it has saved my bacon numerous times now since 1604 is a flaming pile. In fact, I got a, I got a, I got a, a telegram from one of the guys that works for me part-time and he, he was, it was f first a rant of problems with 1604 and then okay. I can't use it anymore because XYZ broke and then <clears throat> I'm going back to 1404. Oh, something wow. I something I can sympathize with, but the uh, it, one of the things that has bothered me is I could no longer rip my DVDs in Brasserio, and so if you, have you used K3B? No, I have not actually. All right, it is an antiquated uh, piece of software for those of us that are still on antiquated optical media. But optical it, media? Yeah. What is that even? But, but if you... Lasers or something? If you back up Redbox or Netflix, back up. Uh, if you do that, or you back up movies that you buy at the store, you know, we get this question probably once every six months. Somebody writes in at the show and they say, hey guys, how do I purchase media? How do I buy media that's going to respect my freedom and I'll be able to watch it right. on Linux? And really, the only answer to that is buy optical media and rip it that's yourself. That's a good point. Yeah, I think so. And so if we use, uh, so software like K3B has fundamentally allowed me to continue to purchase optical media and rip. And, and if that isn't enough, bra serial, every once in a blue moon, I would <clears throat> run into a problem where I would try to rip a DVD and it would tell me something along the lines of could not decode or, or it would actually, it would even complete successfully maybe, but then I actually couldn't play the ISO. And I actually had a box of DVDs that I purchased that I couldn't rip. And you know me, wow. you know me. If I can't do it under Linux, I'm just not going to do it. So You're not going to do it. You're so never going to watch those movies. So I just, they just sit there. I, so I just have, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of DVDs that are sitting there that I just, I've never watched because I couldn't get them to rip and play. In Linux, well, it turns out I took them out right before this camping trip. And, and I shouldn't camping, you know, we stayed in an RV, but uh, our camping, RV camping, yeah. being outside kind of exactly. But we, I went back and ripped all of these movies that I'd previously have had trouble with and K3B blew right through up. No problem oh, at that's all. Awesome. So I have ISOs. And the thing is, I really like having an actual ISO of every one of my 
movies. And the, the reason is because I get all of my menus. I get all of the subtitles. Yep. I get all of the languages. I, I am, I'm, uh, I'm learning Japanese. I, I, I spent some time in Japan and, and oh, kind of caught on with the culture. And so I'm going back and watching movies in Japanese. That's the kind of thing that if, if, if seven year old, seven year ago, Noah, if you would have talked to him, he would have been like, I'm ripping this stuff. I don't need yeah, I just want an different language. And be done with it. Yeah, I speak English and sarcasm. I don't need anything. You know that that was that was seven year yep. old. No, and now uh, now you know things have changed a little English, bit. English, Japanese, and but, sarcasm. But I'm glad There's that I, I I'm glad that I have literally an identical copy of what I would have had had I had right. still had possession of the DVDs that I purchased legally at the store and have somehow displaced or lost or scratched or broken or thrown away <laughs> or otherwise. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Accidentally. All right. Well, uh, that is all of our picks, Wes. So let's do the news. Hey, it's the news. This episode's brought to you by Ting.com. Everyone go to Ting.com. Last.Ting.com, actually, if you will. I have spent the entire weekend on Ting. Literally the entire weekend on Ting. I have a hotspot on Ting. I have my laptop on Ting, I have my phone on Ting, and I have my wife's phone on Ting. We all have Ting, and we're out in the middle of the boonies. You can judge a cell phone company by how good their reception is in the middle of oh, nowhere. Definitely. No other people are. And I can tell you, Wes, that the cell phone reception in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, is amazing. We had LTE basically the entire time. There was a couple times we were out in the four-wheelers, and we were like in the middle of this field, and like I couldn't see the sky, much less you know, civilization. Yeah, and I think exactly. there Not I dropped, tower <laughs> there I think I dropped down to 3G, but I had service the whole time, uh, just not LTE. Nice. Yeah, absolutely super awesome service. And the, the thing is, and this doesn't get mentioned enough, the number one complaint I hear about people, about Ting, when I meet them in person is they say, I want a store I can go to to buy a phone. What do I do if I'm traveling and my phone breaks? Well, it's a legitimate concern. I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it. What do I do if I need a phone and I need to go buy, I, I buy a phone? So, a, not saying this has happened to me, but it's happened to me. And B, it's actually gotten even easier since when last time when it happened to me. Wes, have you been into Best Buy lately? I try not to be. It's probably been like three years at least. Oh, really? I try to make it a daily occurrence to stop in oh. Best Buy and see what I need. So, uh, I, I, but anyway, you walk into Best Buy and right, there's a big sign and it says unlocked phones. And it's a oh, thing now. You can, nice. Yeah, exactly. And you can, so you can buy, and they're nice phones. They have the Google uh, 6P. The Google. Well, next to 6P, whatever. It's, 6P. Made, it's made by, it's made by Huawei. But uh, <laughs> uh, Huawei, get the pronunciation. Huawei. Huawei. Uh, Huawei. But they, they have the 6P. They also have uh, a couple of the Motorola's. They have, they actually, have you ever seen a Sony smartphone? Yeah, I have actually. Sony smartphones are ridiculously cool and nobody talks yeah, about them. some of them are really nice. Probably because we all no, hate yeah, Sony for the mentioned. DRM crap. But they yes. make really nice phones. And so I was I was I was playing with the the Sony Xperia, I think it was. Uh actually a super nice phone on sale at Best Buy. All I think every phone there well, with the exception of the 6P, every phone there was under 250 bucks. Um, so you can buy an unlocked GSM phone, stick your Ting SIM card in, and have service. Now, I actually, before that was even a thing, before even Best Buy started carrying that stuff, I actually had the exact same problem. I had, um, I had a Ting phone. I refused to use any other service and had my Ting phone 
die at the worst possible time, actually. Uh, and, of course. Yeah, and I'm, I'm traveling in Washington. And so I, I make Chris drive me to a, a, one of the uh, little knockoff, uh, you know, cell phone store things. And I walk in there and I, I just asked the lady, I'm like, how much for an unlocked phone? And she said, well, you know, whatever, X amount, hundred dollars. Okay. How much if I buy your stupid, cheap, crappy service and don't use it and just put my, my SIM card in there? Wow. Well, it's, you know, a little bit more reasonable. Um, and so what it was funny, too, because like she's lying to me and I, I'm well not lying, but she's she's giving me misinformation and I'm trying to correct it. And so like, right. we're, well, we're standing in the store and she's like, we offer the cheapest rates. It's sixty nine ninety five a month. It's, oh. I'm like, but that's not the cheapest rate. I actually pay like thirty dollars. And she's like, right. But we have tethering on our phones up to a gig and nobody else. I'm oh. like, yeah, actually, I have tethering as much as the gigabytes as I want. As much as you want. Yeah, as much as the gigabytes I want. That's my limit. And I don't pay extra. And she's like, well, yeah, but you have to pay probably more than $10 extra. We only charge $10. And I'm like, actually, I pay nothing extra. And then she's like, oh. And then she just you can't compete with that. Well, then I think she just kind of gave up. But uh, last.ting.com, you can get yourself a great phone from Ting. I actually have bought a couple phones from Ting. I always had a great experience, but personally, I prefer to shop on eBay, lately Best Buy. Um, and actually B and H photo is where the, the, uh, that's where this, the, my six P with my sticker myself on the back. It also makes it really easy to get a used phone. You it's know, like you have a hand-me-down phone or you have a friend who's getting a new phone. They just have it to you. It's great. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, my so my father-in-law has AT&T, and he, every time he gets a new phone, he gives me his phones. AT&T phone, super easy to unlock, works beautifully on the Ting network. Right. Um, and so I just take them in the, in the AT&T store, and then they send you right back out the door and give you a URL. You type in the URL, type in the MEID, unlock it, stick the SIM card in, it's a Ting phone. Actually, that's Done. the smartphone my mom's on. Oh, is that's great. It's a re-gifted. Yeah. It's a re-gifted Ting phone. So last.ting.com and get yourself something nice and let them know the Linux Action Show sent you by using that link. You let them know that you care about the show and that them advertising with the show is a worthwhile venture. So, uh, whoa, that's not the button I meant to hit. Uh, the era of 32-bit <clears throat> or <clears throat> excuse me, the era of 32-bit processors is coming to an end. I don't know, Wes, if you have been following this much, but Basically, there are those out there that incorrectly believe that 32-bit processors are no longer a priority. Um, Google already took to dumping the 32-bit version of Chrome back in 22, uh, 2015, and Ubuntu is uh, is now the latest distro that is going to be following suit. Now, the problem I have with this, the big problem I have with this, is that I am a huge proponent of older hardware. I love right. taking older hardware. The 10th anniversary episode, when I got to dig that computer up, you don't know the amount of pain it was for me to not only dig the laptop out, but drag it all the way with me to self and then all the way with me to Washington. Because I started here in North Dakota. I oh, went man. to well, here to self and then I went here to, to, to you know, to, to Washington to do the episode. And it was, but it was so much fun to take that old 10 year old computer out and, and put an operating system on it and watch it come back to life, which is. And it some, actually works. You could get real work done. Exactly. And I did. I used it for the whole episode. In fact, I used yeah, it for like amazing. a day after. Yeah. And then I got sick of it not having Wi-Fi. But, uh, but the, but you, those kind of options are going to go right out the window if we discontinue uh, support for uh, 32-bit architectures. And, you know, right now, as it stands, I have a computer in this very building right downstairs that my employees use when they, you know, they come in for the morning, right. open a browser up, and it, they, they simply check 
trouble tickets. So it literally, its function in life is to run an instance of Firefox. Like I could run it on anything, right? I have yep. chosen to run it on some ridiculously old Pentium 4 because it's it's an old you uh, had it you around know, you Lenovo thing. Why yeah, not? exactly. It's a big th- thing center and it just it works and it doesn't break and it's like a beast and nothing ever burns out on it because it's built so well. I just uh, but it's a 32-bit processor and it doesn't matter because I'm just running Firefox. Um, yep. and th- so the counter argument to that because you s- I, I guess I take it you're on my side with this as a s- I, I mean I don't know. I understand both sides. I do really appreciate right like one of the big things that we've had with Linux is that you can run it on so many different platforms, you can make it work for you. If you have this weird old computer or you just have like an obscure computer that Windows doesn't work or you really need something that, you know, has real functionality, bam, Linux will run on it. But I do also understand that, you know, Proportionately, we do see a huge decline in 32-bit downloads, etc. And it does. And I'm sure that there are people, you know, who have to maintain the build systems and the d- distributions and everything. I can see the pressure there to be like, well, if 80% of everything is 64-bit, then we're just going to support 64-bit. And exactly. there's plenty of distros out there left that will cater to your 32-bit needs. And there's always Gen 2. And there's always. But Gen I wouldn't two. say that that would be my position because I do. You know, I have had that experience of like. Here's this machine. Maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe you just really need it to work, and you 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 know you can reach for like the Linux you're used to. You slap it on there, and you get the job done. The um the the chat room is pointing out that they have a lot of ten year old computers that run uh, a thirty two bit operating system or a sixty four bit operating system. Excuse me, with no problem. So it's not just an age thing, but um. And and there is a side to that, right? There is a side that, hey, if we say that we're going to every every time that we make a distro release and we support a 32-bit infrastructure, that is how many devs that are working on that item rather than fixing, oh, I don't know, the network manager in Ubuntu 16.04. So we have wireless, which still isn't fixed. Yeah. Who wants that? Yeah. Who wants that? But so, right. but, but it does become a priorities thing, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what what they're going to do? I, I just. It's it, it. It. I just don't like change. Yeah, like, that's what it really I, comes down to. I just. I just don't like change. I like things to stay the same. I love things the way they are, and I don't. Uh, and I, I. I. I don't know. I just. I like my thirty-two bit right. stuff because I have a lot of them. Where you would discard those things, and there's a lot of people that aren't. And even though it's not, you know, maybe it's not hip, it's not new, it's not shiny, and even the new like thirty-two bit stuff, people are just well, everyone's used to sixty-four bit, but I don't know. Exactly. It's interesting. It is. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, excitingly enough, you know, you've heard the joke, this is the year of the Linux desktop, right? Yes, I have. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you that this is That's the year. That's actually next year, right? I heard it was 2017. Yeah, it was a 2017. Guy oh, good. The street I, was shouting that. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, it's funny, too, because we've, we've literally taken it from the year of the Linux desktop is coming to the year of the – this is going to be the year of the Linux desktop to – now, like now, it's become like a joke. Like we basically we've gone past. We're like the year of the Linux desktop has come and gone. We've been in the year of the Linux desktop. Like it's like it's almost like yep. we couldn't actually find a point in time when we could say like this is the year of the Linux desktop. So now we just kind of make a joke out of it. But and now we question if desktops are relevant at all. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But but Linux has just passed the two percent market share. Worldwide wow. Linux market share has passed two percent for the first time, according to data analytic company Net Market Share. The stats look at that tiny uptick there. Look at that <laughs> tiny uptick in that graph. The stats firm figure for Linux desktop usage in 2016 is the highest share they've ever reported. Interestingly, Net Market Share do in fact track Android and Linux separately, something that many similar companies do not. Penguin fans can take some sort of heart. Uh, from the figure, but like all stats, the figure are wide open to interpretation and debate. Now. I ask myself numerous times a year, 
if Chrome OS was the only it was the only meaningful representation of the Linux desktop that the world saw at large. Could I live with that? And Chris and I had a very lively debate about it a couple weeks ago. But basically, my answer was back then was yes. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's so much true anymore. I think I've kind of changed my position. So what's changed? Well, so part of it is, uh, you know, there's, I, the, the, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that made the argument that if, if, if Chrome OS is it, if that's the Linux desktop, then really right. all we have succeeded is in getting our kernel to be the kernel that is at the heart of the operating system. It really doesn't affect anything else. And when I think about why I want to use Linux. It actually has very little to do with the kernel. In fact, I don't even really consciously am aware. Right, it's not that often that comes up that you're really at the kernel level or thinking about it. Right. I'm not. I'm thinking about applications. I'm thinking about right. what, what things I want to get done. And I'm thinking about the fact that my hard drive is encrypted with Lux and I have all of my files that are saved in Inkscape and I have you know my LibreOffice documents and, and stuff like that. And, and if I can't do my work on those pieces of software, then what's really the point? Exactly. So, but here, but so, so that's a grim side. Here's the bright side. Here's the upside. You're, we are watching the desktop market shrink and I, the amount of high level CEOs or presidents or, uh, or, you know, owners of companies that don't even want a computer anymore. In fact, really the computer, it's like, it's like this anchor that they are tied to and they don't have a choice but to use. And I run into this time and time again. We just did a huge migration. I mean, I was stuck at a hotel. I basically lived there for like four days. We we're doing this migration. They didn't want to be around the computer. They wanted to use tablets and phones. Yep, and, stuff that and, followed them around. Exactly. And if you look at, you know, if you if you look at what's happening, every company seems to be focusing more and more on tablets and touch. And we even when we get into self, you're going to see that even some of the big players in Linux are really putting a lot of emphasis on touch and tablets. And I think part of what is causing this uptake, however small, is that we have a bunch of people that the, the the real nerds, the people that really like the desktop, that are in love with the desktop ecosystem, the, or the um, the form factor, even the laptop form factor, those kind of people, you will never drag us off of our laptops and our desktops. There's there's no I, I can yep. confidently say that there is never <laughs> going to be a time when you're going to invent some sort of touchscreen device that is going to take me away from my laptop or my desktop. If I I, this to me is the ideal interface and there are some tricks you just can't teach old dogs. I think that's it. Wes, I know that you have played, I mean, you do crazy things like try to run tablet operating systems on your laptop. I know that you have, <laughs> true. you have a couple different, uh, different devices. What keeps you on your laptop? I mean, it really does come down to the terminal. I, you know, I do see like at conferences on like some, some setups with like various surfaces. My roommate was trying out a surface book recently, which was kind of interesting to play with. So I do see that advantage. And there are times where I like, you know, like you're in bed or you're sitting in like an uncomfortable place around the bus. And like, you really do want to kind of touch something. It'd be convenient to just like, Oh, tap that icon or click that link instead of having to like use a trackpad or a touchpad or a click point or whatever. Uh, but mm, at the end of the day, like 90% of what I want to do if it's not passive consumption, I really do want a real operating system on some sort of real desktop or laptop. Exactly. Yeah, I think the operating system is a big part of it. And I think really for me, a actual physical keyboard and a mouse. And you know, the thing is, the, and the, the ThinkPad has really brought me back to this. I think that we vastly underappreciate TrackPoint, uh, um, whatever, mice. Um, Clickpads are great. I still think I'm faster with, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just bias, but I am faster personally with the track point. I can nail things. Yeah, I think I might be as well. I'm more precise. And the thing is, I really notice it when I do something that is very mouse-centric, like video editing. 
threw together a, a video that we're going to watch later uh, with self-interviews. That video is to, to be able to get into the timeline and, and zoom in and zoom out and click on something and to do that quickly and without thinking where it becomes a second nature. To me, it's always the trackpad, man. I will say there are some interfaces that do just lend themselves to touch. Like I was uh, setting up WeCan, uh, an open source Kanban board. And, you know, you can just open it up in a browser and something about using it on a tablet, mm-hmm. just being able to like, drag my tasks from one side to the left. It, you know, it was very visceral. It felt very natural. So I will I will concede that there are some interfaces where maybe it just makes sense. Like exploration, obviously, like using Google Maps can be very pleasant when you have a big touchscreen to play with. Sure. So there are those situations. But I feel like, like control scroll does the same thing, though, right? Yes, it does. And it's a different interface, right? And so maybe it will end up always being a divide between people that are, you know, casually using and then the people who are like really creating or in an environment where they have something more analytical or something where they really need to dig deep. You know, and the, and the other thing is, uh, last thing, this isn't that interesting of a story, but the, um, the, 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 uh, the other thing I notice is when I get into a hurry and when I, ca- I can't afford to think, I can't afford to spend a lot of time thinking about something, I almost have to go back to a keyboard and mouse. And if I'm using a touchscreen, I inadvertently touch buttons all over the place. And I look at my phone and it's like windows are cascaded and things are opened and phone calls have been dialed and pictures have been taken. And as you name it, it's happened on my phone. And it's because I, I was I was busy trying to get the, I was trying, well, what it was, was that we were trying to fix a truck and I just wanted the flashlight on and I was using it, I was holding it like an object and I wasn't really paying attention to, I wasn't being conscious of where my hands are. That just yep. doesn't really happen on my laptop, right? Like I, I know when I'm interfacing, when I'm touching buttons or bumping the mouse. It's a very conscious just, decision yeah, to interact with me. it, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the laptop form factor, one of my favorite companies and one of my favorite products is the OLPC. Now I bought one for, for my son when he was like a year and a half, promptly destroyed it. It took him a while though. He had to work at it, and then I bought a couple more, and then uh, and then uh, they he went through you know a couple of them until he graduated to a uh, to an actual ThinkPad. And now my daughter has the OLPC, and she absolutely loves it. Well, there is another uh, there is another option for OLPC, and that is the Infinity One Exo's bigger, more responsible sibling. And it, the the article says. Remember one laptop per child that distributed uh, a few million cheap, brightly colored XOPCs running a version of Linux called ShiroS, which is based on Fedora? Um, <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure, but actually, OLPC uh, Australia is carrying a torch, sort of. The offshoot now calls One Education and has announced the Infinity One. Gone are the weird bulk orders to get your hands on the OLPC in recent years. Now you can order a laptop straight from $230 that would ship in August. And then they have a, a couple pictures of this laptop. And Wes, I got to tell you, I am really, really excited about this. My kids uh, live on their computer and, you know, never never mind that. Never well, they mind are that. your kids, Noah. Huh? Yeah. They are your kids. Yeah. Do you, so, know, I mean, do you notice? It, you, uh, well, so, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but the, um, so on, in the, in the actual specs, they're showing it has windows. I saw that. And so that's interesting. That's a big change. So and this is this this is the uncool part. But the thing is, you know, from the way that they're sourcing those parts, that there's no way they don't there's not a way that we can get Linux to run on those things because they, you know, it's going to be generic Intel parts and stuff like this. I can probably get Linux to run on it. But I think this is part of the problem when Microsoft decides they're going to you know, deviate from their status, their, their status quo and start offering, you know, windows 10 for free and discounts. And they decide they're going to play in the education. It changes the incentive structure. It does. And the problem always in Linux's favor. And the problem is we have for a long time, 
learning and scientific use has always primarily resided in in, in the Linux clubhouse. That's just where people go. And if you're yep. building a cheap device and you're going to put Linux on it, and if you're building something scientific, you're going to put Linux on it. If you're going to start something, you know, small and cheap, it's going to run Linux. And I think Microsoft is 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 trying to compete in that space, and that that's why they kind of tried to, I think, you know, push into the Raspberry Pi. Right, I don't with know. their IoT core and all of that. Right. Now, I don't know about you. I haven't actually seen any Raspberry Pis running Windows. Like, I haven't heard anyone doing projects on, on Windows. So that's the good news. But I don't want them to get their grimy little hands into my kid's computer. It, it, this, yep. is, this is a great product, and, and it's really cool. But the, the thing that is, is, is most compelling to me is I remember when the OLPC shipped, and I really wanted to get my hands on it, and it turned out they were doing this bulk order thing, and so the only way to buy it at the time was you had to go on eBay and find somebody that had ordered a bulk order, and they would piece right, them out and, and sell them. resell it to you. Right, and oftentimes the, that seller wasn't actually active at the moment, and so you're buying a used one, and... It was a it was a real pain, um, and and so the, so the fact that they're streamlining this, I think, is going to be really popular. I could really see a lot of stores picking this up. The thing I am most worried about is, you know, and Chris would be an excellent example of this. His kids are very touch device centric, right? They're exactly. very big into their tablets and stuff. And so, and I think a lot of parents are like that because what happens is mom and dad have a tablet, mom and dad buy a new tablet. And then what do we do with the old tablet? Well, we give it to kids. And you know what? They yep. pick up on it super fast because it's a touchscreen device and it, you know, it's, it's very intuitive, it's, right? It's, it's very, very easy intuitive. for kids to learn. It's natural, it's explorative, not exactly. like a online. And they, and they, uh, and they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> So and and not only that they make all of these devices apparatus that contain the uh, tablet so that it makes it very kid friendly. So they've got little handles and they're colorful and they're they're stable yep. and all that. Maybe they like yeah cases and makes, exactly makes it really cool. And so uh, and so I I'm I'm a little bit worried about that children's laptop market. And I think that's why it hasn't uh, it hasn't really gone anywhere to begin with. Um, you don't have kids, but uh, have you have you played with the OLPC or any of those computers? Yeah, I played with the first one just a little bit. Uh, I saw it on display at somewhere. I don't remember where, but a uh, conference somewhere. And, you, yeah, it was really an interesting project. And I did, I do, you know, I think it's a great idea. I'd be really curious to see how well Linux support here. Obviously, if it gets going, there'll be a big community and lots of people who won't, you know, maybe they were using the original. Linux has a lot of education stuff that you can use right away. So they probably, I could see a big use case where they deploy Linux on maybe the, the you know, desktops they've had donated to a school or something like that. And they would want the same kind of environment. So hopefully... There'll be a large community of people interested in running Linux on these. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that the I think that the, the primary market is going to take off in Linux, and I think that if they do ship them with both, I think they're probably going to sell more Linux units than Windows units. If only because I think the major target audience for something like this is developing countries, and they're not going to run Windows. Exactly. All right, Wes. Uh, last story is Evernote. Uh, do you, are you an Evernote user? Thankfully, at this point, anyway, at least according to this story, no. But yeah. I know you're pretty. You've, you at one time, at least, you were pretty uh, I, deep in the hooks. I, let me let me share a little story with you, Wes. I was a happy Evernote user once upon a time, and everything was great in the land of Noah. And then Rakai and Chris and basic and and Lance and basically everyone else in my life teamed up on me and said, "You got to switch from Evernote. Switch to Simple Note. Simple Note's much better than Evernote. Why are you using Evernote? You got to switch to Simple Note. Simple Note will change your life. Switch to Simple Note. We did an app pick on it. They're making fun of me on the air. Got to switch to Simple Note. Do you use Simple Note? You got to use Simple." Note. Simple Note's great. Simple Note will change your life. Don't use Evernote. Use Simple Note. So I switch to Simple Note. 
because enough people told me to switch to Simple Note. You had to switch to Simple Note. And then you know what happened? Then everyone stopped using Simple Note because it does it has sync problems on the desktop. And, oh. so, and so now I'm I'm like the last man standing. I'm still using Simple Note. I did the show notes on Simple Note this week because that's what I'm comfortable with. You're like three trends behind Noah. I don't, I don't do this like I'm, I'm the LTS guy. You can change my yep. note program once every five years, guys. That's it. That's all you get. So, so I'm still on Simple Note. And it turns out this week I'm glad I am because Evernote, is uh, is is severely limiting their free service. They're limiting free tier to two devices, and they raise prices by forty percent. Evernote has been one of the leading note taking services for some time for clients with web based for every major OS. Uh wrong. <laughs> the company recently announced sweeping changes to its freemium pricing strategy, which puts a big limit on their free tier and raises prices on the board for new and existing users. The free tier, Evernote Basic, is now limited to two devices. If you want to ac- access notes on more than those two devices, you'll need to fork over some cash. Device means any device with an official Evernote client installed. Evernote apps are available for Windows, Mac OS, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, BlackBerry OS, and Windows Phone. Let me stop What's right missing there. Yeah, well, hold on a second. Let me stop. Let, yeah, let, let's go back and let's not drive right by that. How many people are on BlackBerry OS at this point? Uh, how many? Right. How many people are on a Windows phone? I think I've seen one of my. Well, actually, until I got to Japan, I've seen like one my entire life. And here they're saying that they have operating. They have a client for every major operating system. It, and but they they don't include Linux. They include Chrome OS. It's ridiculous. So Linux Action Show being on top of it as we always are have a solution for you. We covered it two weeks ago, and it's called Turtle.it. Have you played with this, Wes? Uh, just a little bit. It does. It looks very interesting. Well, I have not played with it because I'm still on Simple Note, like I switched. And in four four years and three in the nine months, I'll give Turtle.it or whatever is popular there. I'll give that a shot for a little bit, and we'll see what happens. Right. Now, when, when the next change window comes around. Yeah. I might, I might, I might give into that a little earlier. But, but the... But the um, so the the thing that is nice about this turtle, and I was looking into it a little more deeply before the show, it supports encryption. It seems to be wildly popular with the open source community. So it's definitely something to check out. Me personally, I'm going to hang on Simple Note for just a little bit, if only because I cannot bear the thought of migrating my couple hundred notes that I just got done doing out of Evernote. <laughs> I know, right? Note. I mean, like you can only do that so often. I can't do it again, man. I but can't, can't but as long as you're stuck on like a proprietary system or a system that you don't control, you also lose a lot of that flexibility. So I don't know how if Turtle supports importing or that kind of thing, but it, at least since it's open source, maybe people can work on that. Yeah. Well, and the chat room is making fun of me. They're saying that once I switch over to whatever platform that we decide to go to, then everyone's going to go back to Evernote. I, I don't. Yep. I actually don't think that's going to happen because I think I think the strongest motivator for people really is money. And I think if you put a bounty, I think when you start to put a, a monetary barrier up, I think you severely limit, severely limit um, what right. people well, are willing lose to that, like. You lose that interface. It's just like you click, you sign up. You don't even have to use a credit card sometimes, you know, and then you're bam, you're using the service. So if you suddenly have to pay and then like there's that decision point where you're like, well, mm, how many services do I pay for this month already? OK, do I really want to do this? Yeah. Well, and the, 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 you know, the weird thing is, is like all of these other companies have managed to make, uh, you know, huge money all based on ad revenues offering free product. You know, Facebook and and you know, and Cheap Plus and uh, you know, whatever. But yep. how, how is it that Evernote thinks that they have to charge? You know, and forty percent. Holy cow! Like, I mean, we raise prices at Altus. We ain't never done a forty percent price hike. We'd lose yeah, clients. Weird. But so anyway, if you were on Evernote, stop being on Evernote. Go join something else. Turtle.io. I think it's two weeks ago. I looked it up. Four twenty. 
or that would be four, four, four weeks ago. Uh, episode 420, we do uh, we did it as an app pick, so you can go check out what we said there. And that is all the news for this week. A couple of weeks ago, we took the time to head out to North Carolina where we hung out with some Southern gentlemen and ladies and took a look at what they had to offer with the Southeast Linux Fest, hands down one of my favorite conferences to attend. Now, why is it one of my favorite conferences? Well, it's one of my favorite conferences because these are some really hardcore Linux people. They're people that they're literally editing video from the conference in FFmpeg, like from the command line. They did the whole wow. thing. Wes, you're going to love this. They actually... The, one of the guys that's that's in charge of it was getting sick of uh, of of uh, the uh, what do you call those silver things that don't work right that are owned by a proprietary company and have glowing fruit on the back. He had problems oh, with uh, people book or something. Yeah, sure. those. He had problems with bringing people bringing those in. They could never get them to work right and display output correctly. So he just said screw it and bought ThinkPads for every uh, presentation room and installed Gentoo on them. So if you present wow. at self, you're going to be presenting on a Gentoo computer running. Uh, uh, well, a, a, a ThinkPad running Gentoo. And this year, they actually captured and recorded all of the sessions using OBS. And I'm going to tell you more about Southeast Linux Fest coming up in this segment. Before we do that, we have to talk about Linux Academy. Linux Academy is what has fundamentally replaced training for me. Now, I have gone and done a number of different trainings. I've done I've done everything from the 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 good certifications that <clears throat> that are when I say good I mean like well done type certifications, not useful or unuseful in the marketplace. They're all useful depending on what you're going into, except for the Microsoft ones. Those are useless. Right. But the so I've done everything from the Red Hat ones, which literally teach you actual hands-on skills where you're actually solving real server problems on a real live Red Hat box, all the way down to the Cisco certifications, which the certification is great, but like the entry level thing is really more a test of your ability to erase dry erase markers with your thumb and do simple uh, addition and subtraction than it is about actually learning about networking. That might be a little unfair, but the if you want to learn all of these skills, <laughs> you can do all of that at Linux Academy slash Unplugged. Now, let me ask you this. If there, if you're out there, if you're sitting in your chair and you're on your computer and you're thinking and you're, you're, you've got Linux action show. So my face, Wes's face and your bank account is over to the, to the right. So you got three windows open. You follow me so far? Is this you? Are we talking to you? And you're not bringing home like 70,000 plus a year. You need a new job because if you've understood everything we've talked about in the show up until this point, you have the potential to make a lot right, of money. You deserve that Linux job. You do. You do deserve And they're out there. They're looking for and The market is as hot as a firecracker right now. Every place I talk to, they are hiring. They are looking for dedicated motivated Linux people, but they are looking for people that have a specific skill set. They don't want to have to teach you these things. And you can learn all of them yourself for a great price over at linuxacademy.com. I actually, I used to spend upwards of $2,000, I think, just to do the certification. And then wow. in my later years, I've cut back a little bit. And now I just do like the one week boot course, which is like, I'm a Linux guy. I'm just here to do the training You've thing. You've done it before, they, right? Yeah, exactly. So they go over like, here's, here's rel six, here's rel seven, here's what's changed, that kind of thing. I don't do it anymore. Now I do everything over at Linux Academy. So you are not living to your full potential. You are losing an opportunity cost. If you're not making seventy dollars to $100,000, you need to go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Take advantage of the discount we're going to offer you and set yourself up for a new career. Doesn't matter how old you are. You can start a new career right now linuxacademy.com. And even if you're not interested in making more money, maybe you're like, I'm perfectly happy eating 
Cheetos and watching reruns. Just go just learn go, something go new. Go learn something new for the fun of it. Yeah. You know what? Knowledge is the one thing nobody can ever take away from you. It exactly. Doesn't, ma- doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter if you're if you're stranded on an island or if you're arrested or if you get into a you know a car crash and you're a quadriplegic. The, the, a lot of other things can be taken taken away from you, but you can never ever lose knowledge. So linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And again Visiting that link lets them know that you appreciate the show and their sponsorship of the show. So, Wes, without further ado, I want to talk about Southeast Linux Specs. Not just talk. I want to show you what we experienced while we were there. Sitting kneecap to kneecap with these people that are so intense, so intentional, so... That's awesome. You know, so focused on on one thing, and that is Linux. And it is, the, you know, for years, for years, I would attend these conferences... Um, you know, and I worked for another company and, you know, we started as a window shop and it, unsurprisingly, I converted them to Linux, but, uh, I was, I was working as a, you know, I started at the help desk. I, wor- I worked my way up to server deployment and, uh, was, was running, uh, they were a window shop. And so they're sending us to these windows training centers and I was yep. running Linux on my laptop. It was awkward, man. Like you go into these places and everyone's kind of making fun of you and it's people, not a culture fit at all. No, no, not at all. And like, you're, you, it's one of those things where you're sitting down you kind of have like the screen like tilted. So nobody sees and they're like, yep. go ahead and visit this URL. And you're like. Let me see if it loads first and if all the plugins yeah, are right. there and if it's going to work before. It. And then like X or what? Yeah. And then, then there'd be the guy that like walks around. And he's like troubleshooting. He's like, oh, help me. Are you on Internet Explorer 6 or Internet Explorer 7, man? And like all that crap. And you're oh, like, God. yeah, I don't use Internet Explorer. I'm better than that. Does and like you're Firefox. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you don't tell them that. Right. Because if you tell them, you're, they're like, what, what's this? What's this garbage? You can't bring in Linux. What are, you, what are you doing? Just join the club. You too poor to afford Windows. Is that what it, you, know, you get that kind of crap? Uh, So after living that for a couple of years, it is so refreshing to sit down at a conference where if you're not running Linux, if you're on Windows, if you're on Mac, if you're on, you know, you are the very much the exception, not the rule. And and then you're the guy that doesn't fit in. And if you're running Linux and it doesn't, the nice thing is everyone is, is welcome, right? Like if you were happy to show you how to use Linux, we might make a little fun of you if you're running Windows, but um, you can buy it's a playful fun. Good yeah, it is, fun. it is. It is. It is playful. And the other thing is too, is we, there's all sorts of, of different types of hardware, right? There's hardware that's literally $80, $90 all the way up to, I saw the, the, the latest X1 Carbon, man, it's not a nice laptop. And then oh, you have people yeah. like System76 that are out there, not only just demoing their computers, but giving them away, literally. Um, super fun time. So coming up, we're going to show you exactly what it was to be like at Southeast Linux Fest and some of the interviews that we got from the floor. All right. So being at Self, I run into some of my favorite people and by far some of the most interesting conversations I think I have with people at Self are with people like Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you? Not too bad today. All right, so Jason is... So I think... I'll start out with this. The first thing I think I appreciate is your eagerness to learn about Linux and understand the system. And we're having a conversation, and you think that that's kind of a lost art among a lot of people. It it really is. Conversation is really something that people actually have to have. Mm -hmm. The single greatest way to share the knowledge that you have is not to write it down or tell somebody to go read a manual, but Mm -hmm. to actually explain it to them and how the technologies work. Mm -hmm. Because an explanation to a carpenter of how you actually put together a feather joint is wildly different than trying to just show them with drawings. Mm -hmm. And that's really the difference that you get with conversation is actually physically showing someone you're doing it in verbal. You're making sure that they understand the concept Mm -hmm. versus going, well, there's the docs. Go, Go read. And as and as a 
And as in a very experienced and knowledgeable Linux user, you actually get somewhat frustrated with people that get upset with new people coming to, or, oh, I'm sorry, you get upset with the idea that other experienced people give new people a hard time for not being knowledgeable enough or understanding the flow of which to go about obtaining information. Yeah, elitism, elitism is definitely a sin, just outright. There's no other way to put it. And it really hinders our change to our, our our migration of people to Linux. So I'm out here. They, so so in Jason's day job, he actually deals with. It, it, fair to summarize and say thin clients. I know that's an oversimplification. No, that is primarily what I do. Is I do Linux-based thin clients. We have a custom distribution that we then put a proprietary management stack on top of mm -hmm. to allow enterprise SMB to everybody in that scale manage and handle their VDI solutions, mm -hmm. which is, if people aren't familiar, the single greatest methodology in use in IT across banks, healthcare, finance, etc., to be able to manage things in an appropriate manner at the scale of hundreds of thousands of users. And th you've taken that knowledge, and I have, a, what, do you remember which one I have? Uh, you have the TC3, also known as the Scepter. Yeah. Okay. I, so I have a couple. Of the, I have I have the, the Scepter, and that has fundamentally changed. The fact that I don't know what it is tells you how often I have to tinker with it. We put it into production. We haven't really touched it since. Um, the idea. But you have taken your knowledge that you have gained from that company, as well as your knowledge that you've gained from your genuine curiosity, and you've partnered up with the uh, uh, Arch Linux ARM people. You are an Arch Linux ARM person yes. uh, to to build all of these various um, you know appliance-like devices all running uh, ARM. Yes. Okay. So these are everything you see here on the table, aside from this, the side display unit, is actually an ARM-based system. So we've got developer boards, Raspberry Pi. Odroid C2, uh, Pine64 here that's made a lot of news recently, as well as some of the ARM Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. um, and we basically bring the Arch Linux experience to the ARM platform. So while we're a separate distribution, we follow all of their behaviors, all of the simplicity and KISS theory that you mm -hmm. get involved with that one, and bring that to the availability of the ARM platforms. Mm -hmm. So you get all these SPCs, you can even take and convert existing consumer products that are based on ARM mm -hmm. into being able to do the full capabilities of a Linux system instead of the small restricted environment that they provide for you. Right. Not that, that it's not valid, but you may be able to do things in a, a way that's very restricted for that, but you can open it up and do everything you want here. So I've actually started this project long before I made the transition from the Windows ecosystem into doing Linux, mm -hmm. and then this actual project here at Self, no less, is where I got hired to work for Devon IT. So tell me a little bit about how the, these, these small inexpensive boards um, facilitate Things like exactly what you're talking about, where where you find these inexpensive boards, and all of a sudden I have this project, and I'm like, you know, I could try this, but it would cost me two, three hundred dollars to go buy a PC and and build that. Now I'm buying these boards for twenty, thirty bucks. How does that change the landscape of of what it takes to get people started in this field? Well, you have a lot of people that they don't want to spend the money and the dedication of the hardware and the, the cost involvement to get involved with Linux. Mm -hmm. What the ARM boards get you is the ability to tinker with lower level hardware in a more exposed fashion. You take the black box factor out of it, mm -hmm. and then you can take a smaller investment 
investigate with that, learn, and then proceed from there to a higher investment, whether that ends up being in the end an x86 box of some kind or just a higher grade model than what you've gotten for a low cost entry. Mm -hmm. uh, like the chip is $9, but that's definitely subsidized by all the components that you then have to buy for X amount of part, right. as opposed to the Raspberry Pi where you spend $35 or five in the case of the zero, uh -huh. and you get basically a Linux system that has the necessary graphics needs, but you can go in there and you can start to learn and play and see what all the things it can do and you get familiar with how Linux works. And the nice thing is that you actually, at that point, are learning what it works in a constrained environment. Yeah. And if something works well in a constrained environment, it's going to work excellent in an expanded environment. Exactly. Great. If people wanted to find out more about uh, Linux Ar Arch Linux Arm uh, and or any of the other projects that that uh, you know you're affiliated with, where would they go? Well, for Arch Linux Arm, it's really simple. It's archlinuxarm.org. Mm -hmm. uh, for Arch Linux itself, is also archlinux.org. And if you ever have any questions about how Arch Linux works, I'd tell you to go look at the wiki. Mm -hmm. uh, if you actually have questions about how some of the software you might use in Linux is to be configured, or how you might do something to configure it a little bit differently, mm -hmm. again, the Arch Linux wiki actually covers a huge swath of software and it's not distribution specific. Last question. What's your personal distro that you use on your main machine? Well, duh. It's Arch Linux and Arch Linux Arm. Thank you, Jason. So we're at Southeast Linux Fest and sometimes some of the people that are running booths are also fans of the show. I'm here with Alex. Alex watches the big show, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love the big show. Oh, you're going to be on the big show. So he's here from the 49th uh, Security Division um, and this is part of the university? Yes, yes. It's part of University Charlotte's um, professional organization. Uh, we're basically students who study uh, cybersecurity, information security, and both on the graduate level as well as undergrad level. And it's basically us getting together joining as many CTFs as we can do, uh, capture the flag. Um, we also do CCDC, SANS, anything we can do that's security-minded and coming out to these events. Just keep the body going because cybersecurity, always changing, brand new attacks, you have to keep in it. So that's what that's what we do. Okay, why are you here at Linux, uh, at Southeast Linux Fest? Because if you're going to do security, you need to know Linux. And, uh, absolutely without doubt, whether it's Kali, whether it's ParrotSec, whether it's ArchStrike, which ArchStrike, um, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, Linux is in it, and if it's a if it's a Windows distro, I mean a Windows box, then you can take over some of the power tools with just some Linux distro. If it's server-based, 98 percent, 96 percent of all web servers in the United States are Ubuntu or Debian-based. So knowing Linux, knowing these tools, knowing these backdoors, or trying to find your way around, you can't do it without knowing Bash. You can't do it without knowing Linux. That's all there is to it. That's awesome. Well, that sounds really great. And I hear that you you gave a plug to your friends down the down the road there, oh, yeah. Archstrike. Yeah, so Archstrike you, I take it that you are a big Archstrike fan? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when we first, I was in our um, reverse engineering um, sort of side project, and uh, when we first heard about it coming out, and as soon as it dropped, we all jumped on, and um, we really loved it. I just talked to them because uh, when we were in it, a lot of their, well, a lot of their packages were in testing, and we're trying to figure out why, but they've pretty much pushed like a good 60% of their testing packages out to, to full-on systems, so... Yes, absolutely. I'm, I, I love Archstrike. <laughs> Good for you, man. You're killing it. If anyone wanted to learn more about getting involved with the club, where would they go? Uh, you can go to our website, 49SD.com. We also have a public Facebook page. Um, you can contact UNC Charlotte, OrgSync if you are a student at UNC Charlotte, um, or just uh, at 49SD. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, man. It was good to see you. Walking around the floor at Self 
2016, met up with John from Vici Dial. And John, I know that I was just going over um, exactly kind of what this product is, and I know it's loosely based on Asterix, and that's about where my understanding ends. So tell me a little bit about Vici Dial and what your target audience is. Sure. Our, our target audience is basically anybody that needs a contact center solution, inbound, outbound, email, chat. Um, it handles all those. So if you have an organization that handles calls, chat, email, on large or small scale, um, this can assist you. Uh, it runs on Linux, which is why we're here, supporting uh, the Linux community. Uh, it also uses Asterisk, uh, MySQL, and Apache. Um, so we use a lot of different open source software uh, to make our product. Sure. Now this is a, when you say a contact center solution, um, is it more, uh, and, and you're talking about inbound and outbound, I assume you're talking about phone calls then? Yep. We do phone calls and like I said, emails and chat. But yeah, it originally started out as a phone call contact center solution and then okay. we built the platform from there. So it's targeted more towards like call, like, uh, like, uh, like call centers or like help desks? Uh, originally that was the, the target for us, but because we've expanded the functionality of it, now it's really for any organization that manages um, small to medium load calls uh, or large. Uh, anybody that's taking inbound or outbound calls uh, on a regular basis and handling either help desk or marketing or sales or any sort of uh, large scale customer contact um, is utilizing this software. And how does how does the user interface with the software? I assume that you know you're offering disks, so I assume it's it's kind of a pre-built appliance-like solution. After I get it installed, how am I interfacing with it? It's actually got a very simple administrative web interface. Okay. So once it's installed as software, there's an, an agent interface that basically just hands them all of the information that you need them to have to interact with the customer or client that they have. Mm -hmm. um, but you manage that in a very simple web-based administrator interface. Uh, it's got about 3,000 working features. So the thing that we love about Vici Dial is you can build out of it what you need. If you need something small that just allows you to do email contact, great. If you need something large that allows for phone and chat, great. If you need something very, very specific, it has that functionality. Uh, I often refer to it as the Legos of contact center software because you can assemble it however you want and virtually make anything that you need. Okay, that's great. So it's 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 a very malleable solution. Not really, you're not really set in stone. And also from the vernacular that that you're using, I take it that it is primarily targeted towards an end user and not so much targeted towards somebody that has to have a whole lot of experience, you know, setting up or deploying PBXs. No, um, it's it's generally designed once it's installed and set up. And the people that can manage it can be normal um, employees. They don't have to have a technical background to manage it on a day to day basis. Uh, we try to make it as simple as possible for them to, to run and administrate it. Outstanding. If somebody wasn't here at the conference but wanted to check out VichyDial, uh, do you have an, an ISO that they can download and where would they go to find such a... Um, we do. We actually have one on our website. If you go to vichydial.org, vichydial.org, um, that's our main website. We also have vichydial.com as well and we have um, all of our software information for download there. Outstanding. And Vichy is V-I-C-I... Is that right? Yep. It's like Vini Vini Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. Um, so it's Vici Dial. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. We're here with Michael Hall, the community manager, and he has some really cool things going on at this booth as it relates to Ubuntu. I was, at first I walked up and I saw this 
what I thought was a computer, and I said, oh, look at, look at this computer running Ubuntu. That's really, that's really clever. And then I found out it's actually, you're just using this as a display. Yeah. This actually is not a computer. That's the computer. Yeah. So we've got this uh, little Nexus 4 here plugged into the HDMI input of this. So it's re really just a dumb monitor at this point. Mm -hmm. um, a really nice dumb monitor, but still just a dumb monitor. So all the work's being done on the phone here, and then we've connected a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard to it. So this is our convergence story that we've been talking about for so long. You plug your phone in, you get a desktop experience. And this is really showing that off. We've got multiple windows open, we've got multitasking going on, we've got desktop layouts of these apps. So it really kind of brings that story together, and finally people are able to see it um, really for the first time this year. Yeah, and as, as I'm looking at this, this feels, looks and feels like a desktop. And one of the things I was a little concerned about was how this was actually going to feel if you had um, the when you're running off of, you know, essentially a very old piece of hardware. And what I found was that this whole setup feels very, very responsive. If I drag a window, move it, it's amazing. If I click on something, it's almost instantaneous. Everything seems to work about exactly how you would expect it to work inside of Unity. Yeah, it, it's really a very smooth experience with Unity 8 and with Mirror. Um, a lot better than you would expect from the hardware of the device. I mean, it's got two gigs of RAM on it, so it's not really powerful at all. It's, um, I think, a five year old phone at this point. But yeah, it's a really nice uh, display. Um, you can play uh, HD video on it full screen and it looks really nice. And you actually have been using this as your daily driver, right? Yes, I've been using it, um, this, this is mine right here, um, since about mid-2013. I've been using that. That's awesome. And you found it to be, for the most part, a smooth experience. Uh, well, 2013 was a rough year, I, I will say that. Um, but it did, it improved very quickly. Um, and we were putting out updates now around every six weeks for stable updates. I've been running the daily builds, so I get almost every day I get a new image. Um, so that I've been able to watch the improvement over the last two years, and it's really been astonishing how quickly it's improved. Now, I know that you guys are working with a variety of different hardware vendors to, to uh, you know, to get all of this stuff working and available to people, including maybe producing a product here in the U.S., but if somebody really wanted to get involved right now and start playing with this, how could, how could they go about getting on to this device, and what device would you recommend? Uh, if they're in the U.S., I would recommend either a Nexus 4 or a Nexus 7. Um, those are provided by Canonical. The Nexus 4 is going to work on any GSM network here in the U.S. Okay. If you are in Europe or Asia or anywhere else in the world, you can buy a phone with Ubuntu pre-installed from either BQ or from Maizu. Uh, they're both listed on our website, and that'll come with it pre-installed. They provide support for it and everything. Or you can get a Nexus device over there, too, and flash it yourself. Okay, and so the only downside to buying the, the BQ device is that it may not work over here in the U.S.? Yeah, the 3G is not compatible with U.S. frequencies. Okay. Is the LTE? Uh, the LTE is, as far as I know. Okay. All right. If, if anyone wanted to learn more about Ubuntu or Canonical or what you guys are doing with this amazing Convergent project, where would they go? So Ubuntu.com is the first place to go. If you're interested in um, development or developing apps for it, go to developer.ubuntu.com. That's where you'll find all the information there. Writing apps for this phone is ridiculously easy. You can get an app up and going in an hour or less. Do you guys have Telegram? Yes, we do have Telegram. Uh, All right. We, we've got several Telegram channels, actually. Uh, we've got some specific for app developers, too, that are quite busy. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. And so a huge thank you to Jeremy Sands for having us out at, uh, at Southeast Linux Fest. And, of course, um, Zach Underwood for providing us with absolutely fantastic internet the whole time that 
the whole time that he had an available internet to give us. But the network was absolutely fantastic. It was wow. enterprise grade. Yeah, Wes, I mean, words cannot describe enterprise grade wireless all throughout the building. In fact, he was doing a best effort this year. He wasn't hunting people down with the directional antenna. And yet, even still, I had Wi-Fi the entire time. We were able to stream, um, except for when the it, literally the internet Time Warner actually went out, like completely. It's got to be out of his control, right? But as far yep. like his end of it, like absolutely superb. And he had to work at the last minute because um, AltaSpeed was providing him some of the equipment, and I was out filming the anniversary episode, and so that got delayed a little oh, bit. And he, wow. and he just he just rolled with the punches and made everything absolutely fantastic. Those guys, hands down, one of the best conferences uh, as far as the way that they treat us when we come out there. We're like family. And super, super fun, especially if you're a redneck conservative guy like I am and you get to go out to the gun range and shoot some things and hang out with some good Southern folks. Absolutely a blast. Thank you very much to the folks at Southeast Linux Fest. And we hope that you guys enjoyed our look at Southeast Linux Fest 2016. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, Wes... We are going to take a look at some of our feedback. People write into us by going over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, clicking on the contact link, choosing the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu, and we read those on the air. If you have questions, we comments. We love it. We or, love it. We do. We love it. Questions, comments, or concerns, head over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you about system76.com. And I, it's great because I have had the chance, like, I was kind of a System76 fan before I got to meet those guys, and then... I got then like first we met and then we competed and then we partied. And so like, uh, and I had the, I, you know, actually at Southeast Linux Fest, I had a time, had a chance to sit and hang out with those guys. And oh, it was, that's awesome. It was actually, it was a super amount of fun. So we were actually, so Emma decided like randomly, she's like, I want to play Uno. Like in the middle of the night, well, not in the middle of the night, but like late in the evening, she's like, I want to play Uno. I'll be darned if she didn't come back with an Uno deck from the front desk. So we're sitting that playing Uno. Now get this. Are you ready for this? It's Emma and Sam and a Windows guy and oh. me. You get that? Sam, yep. Emma, me, and the Windows guy. Let's just say the Windows guy didn't stick around for very long. <laughs> they were, I was trying to convince him to install Linux on his, whatever his laptop was. They were trying to convince him that he needed one of their new computers. And then they got into arguing about like the, like the finer, minute points. Like, is it 11 point, you know, is it like... 2.11 pounds or 2.10 pounds or whatever. Oh, yeah, it was, it was great. But system76.com, and here's a secret. If you tell her, if, if you call into System76 or if you send an email, Emma at system76.com, and you say, Noah, switch me to Linux. If you send her that email, she'll send you something special. I can't tell you what it is. I'm not at liberty to discuss, but something, Go find out. something special will arrive. I think you have to order a computer too. But that's fine because they're really great computers. You're going to do that anyway. In fact, the computer that powers this very studio is a System76 Wild Dog that I bought like years ago, and it just keeps on chugging. It is a beast. In fact, it's kind of funny because when I think of the computers that I own from System76, and I own a couple, um, I actually forget about this one because it's it 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 literally sits on a shelf and never really does anything, and so. Uh, it, uh, uh, and so I never really think about it. I mean, it's doing stuff because I use it every week, but it's it's not actively doing anything. I don't act. It never gets in your way. Yeah, it never gets in my way. I never have to actively administrate it. It's just there and it just works. So it's absolutely great. System76.com. A huge thank you to sponsoring the Linux Action Show. It is so cool to be uh, uh, to be you know in the club with you guys. And if you haven't seen their, have you seen their newest video, Wes? 
No, I have not. It is pretty cool. So I'm a helicopter pilot. Actually, I'm a helicopter reporter. And uh, and I'm reporting on the JB um, Motorola MicroTAC. That's what we're going to go with. It's a Motorola MicroTAC that I'm using. And I'm in the JB Chopper and I'm chasing down tucks. And then Chris and Angela are doing a news segment because they're news anchors. It's a really great. It's, it's, oh, it's actually, it's actually pretty sounds cool. amazing. Yeah. And the great, here's the best part about it. If you, I think this is still going on. I think it goes through the fourth, but. If you tweet Ubuntu 76, because do you know where the name System 76 came from? No, I do not. System 76 came from 1976. It, it's, it's, it's a reference back to our, the, the inception of our country and all that good stuff. So 4th of July is like kind of a cool time for them. But hashtag Ubuntu 76, if you tweet that, they're actually dropping the prices as you tweet. And so you oh, can get, wow. I, th- I think they're going to drop like, I don't know. Up to, like, I think, a couple hundred bucks off. So, really Get great. Get tweeting, t- everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get to work. Start retweeting us. Great time to buy a System 76. I have a couple of them. I just bought the Oryx. It's absolutely amazing. I use it, I actually use it for video editing all the time, as well as it's kind of like my mobile desktop that I just I shuffle from one place to another when I'm not traveling, you know, long distances or in tight, confined spaces. Did you have laptops for that, though? They have the 14-inch Lemur, and I got to see that in person. Super, super thin, super, super nice. So check it out. So uh, Elon writes in, and Elon, uh, we met him uh, at scale, actually, and he writes in to talk to us about Texas Linux Fest, which is going on July 8th and 9th. The Texas Linux Fest is coming out July 8th and 9th at the Austin Convention Center. Texas Linux Fest is the Austin-based sister to the event Scale and Siegel. We'd appreciate any help you could offer mentioning it on the show. Well, that's what we're doing. It looks we're like having, a great conference. I'm looking at the uh, some get, of the talks here right now, it, and they have a lot going on. You think it's good now, Wes? You think it's good now? It's about to get better. We're happy to share the code LAST20 for 20% off registration and a free pass to the raffle uh, the raffle giveaway on the show. TexasLinuxFest.org. Thanks for your help, Elon. So we'll probably do that. Uh, I, oh, no. I think we have to do that raffle this week if we're going to do it. Yep, we do, because oh. it, it's 8 and 9th. Well, hmm. How do we do this? Here's what we're going to do. JupiterBroadcasting.com, click on the contact link and enter in your name and your email address and all that good stuff and mention something about the raffle. And if I didn't actually, I didn't actually uh, get back to him about giving the free raffle on the show, so I don't want to like 100% commit to it, but it seems like he's pretty okay with it you know, the, the original email you sent. So go ahead and send those, contact, go ahead and send those contacts in and we'll, we'll do some sort of rigmarole, like putting things into a hat and drawing them, or maybe we'll put them in. There has to be something more techie that we could put all of the names into. I think we hide them in the beard and uh, see which one pulls out first. Ooh, that's good. We could, we, oh, 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 we could take like little names like fortune cookies and put like each one onto a beard hair and then reach in and he could just pull on and then pull one out. I like it. I like it. All right. Andrew writes in and he says, I want to be Noah. Now let me stop right there. When I'm hosting, when I'm hosting a show and you write in an email and in the subject line, you put, you want to be me as a guaranteed way to get into the feedback segment. (laughs) I'm 32 years old and I've had a mental breakdown with my career. I have, I have a one year old. That's actually the cause of your breakdown right there. I have a one-year-old and I love Linux and open source. And oh, by the way, I want to be Noah. Please help me. I need to make money and pursue my dreams and problem solving with Linux. Oh, by the way, I converted to two people uh, to Linux last week. Okay, so here's my tips for you. First, go over to linuxacademy.com and take some tests, get some certifications, or at least get some head knowledge. What you're looking for is not necessarily certifications. They are helpful, and they and some companies really do care. They they do you know weed out applicants right. that way. However, 
Really what you need to succeed, that'll get you the job, that'll get you through the door. But what you need to stay there is you need skills. And the way to get SK, S-K-I-L-Z skills is one of two ways. Either you can play, you can do what I do, which is play with things until you figure it out, or you can spend a heck of a lot less time and probably less money over at linuxacademy.com and play with some of their uh, some of their tutorials and you can learn about some of the stuff that's there. Now, how do you actually get the job? Well, here's what I'd recommend. I have had tremendous amount of success offering something for free, like a product sample, right? You ever go to the fair or you ever go to like, uh, you know, the mall, they give out like little samples of lotion and then, you're, and then your wife finds one that she really likes and then you have to go to Target and buy one? That ever happened to you? Happened to me. So, if you can give out a small little sample of your work, basically you walk in and say, hey, listen, I tell you what, I'm going to come work for you. Okay, I'll sign whatever waivers we got to sign, but you come let me work for you for, for five days. Let me work for you for a week. By the time I get done with you, you won't be able to get me out the door. You won't let me out the door. You'll chain me to this desk and force me to take a job with you. That's how valuable I'm going to make myself. And if you can get somebody to agree to that, and oftentimes they will because they don't have a lot to lose. There's not a lot on the table. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot on the table. You show up. You show up and be the first person through the door, the last person out the door, and make sure that you're providing value to that company the entire time you're there. I get people all the time that ask me for a raise or ask to renegotiate their wages, and my answer yep. to them is I just I just basically switch sides with them. Tell me why. Tell me why. And if your answer is, well, I suck air and I've been doing it for two years, so I guess I deserve more money. That's a bad answer. Now, if you can point to specific things that you're creating value in the company, yeah, I'm more than happy. In fact, you don't have to wait a year or two years. You come if 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 you're creating if you're creating exponentially more value the day after we hired you or two days after we hired you, and you come back in and say, "I want to negotiate my wage," you bet we're going to talk about it, right? And yep. your people, you know, the thing is, people think that if you work for a large company or you, or you work for somewhere stable, then you're then you, then you know you then then you have stability. And really, work stability is just your ability to kill something and drag it home. It really doesn't extend beyond that. Just ask all the people that are on unemployment from being laid off. Um, so bring I'll also about, add that. Um, yeah, also add that. Just like uh, you know, a lot of this is at least on the other side when I'm looking for someone to hire. A lot of it really is just like, are you a Linux person? Are you a Linux mm -hmm. user? Are you, is this something you're interested in? And you really right. can't fake that. Even yep. if you're interested, if you haven't spent the time at the command line, set up some projects, you know, and especially yep. I'll say a lot of places, documentation is a huge problem, right? Mm -hmm. like a lot of people, a lot of people have these skills, but if you have the skills and you know how to write guides or document your stuff or put it in configuration management, a lot of people will be interested in you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, and the, you know, the other thing is too, is, uh, if, if uh, again, if you can prove your value to a company, they won't let you out the door. So exactly. go and offer offer a, a sample. Think of it as a sample. Go. I mean, especially if you don't have a job, you know, or if you don't have a job that you like, anyway. Um, you know, go. You know, volunteer. The other thing you can do, and this might be a little harder to talk you into, and there are some drawbacks. But the other thing you can do, go out on your own. Start something on the weekends. Start. Uh, you know, walk around to the smaller businesses that you see, a restaurant, a hotel, whatever. Walk in, and say, hey, you guys got somebody managing your computer? You know, have some business cards printed up. Some places will even do that for free. Um, you can get the first five hundred for free. Walk in, and say, hey, you know what? I do a great job. I charge a reasonable rate. Here's my card. Give me a call. Or Hey, give me a call, you know, and, and I'll do the first couple of work, couple hours of work for you for free. And you do that, you get yourself into those positions and then it kind of snowballs on you and you won't be able to, yep. uh, to get rid you of gotta it. You got to meet the right people. So maybe also see if there's any Linux yeah. users groups or other, or similar applications yep. that you're into. That's a great point. Once you have a friend, they will go a long way to, and they'll, and they can vouch for you and know that like this guy's intelligent. He ha knows what's going on. He knows Linux and you'll find, you'll get the interview.
That's a great point. And also uh, conferences, things like Self, things like yep. Scale, things like Linux West Northwest. Great way to go. Benjamin X writes in and he has a Fedora upgrade story. In your last week's Linux Action Show, you guys were talking to the audience uh, and asked for any upgrade stories regarding Fedora 24, especially with the NVIDIA drivers. I have five machines all running Fedora and they've been running wow. relatively smooth sailing in regards to the upgrade. Desktop number one. A gaming machine with manually installed NVIDIA drivers official installer. Upgrade went fine, but the drivers weren't installed properly afterwards, most likely because Mesa overrode the GL libraries during the upgrade. I just had to simply reinstall and I was back in business. Desktop number two is a work laptop with Intel integrated graphics. Excuse me. Upgrade went perfectly smooth. Desktop number three, work desktop. This thing is a beast. 24 cores, 48 gigabytes Ooh. of RAM. NVIDIA Quadro with 8K mod NVIDIA drivers from RPM Fusion. It contains 4K VM VMs running beta versions of our server software and two VMs running... Just gloss over that. Keep going. Keep going. I never heard of that distro. For development purposes... For development purposes, I was very worried that these might get messed up during the upgrade, but it was silk at, uh, smooth as silk. NVIDIA drivers automatically rebuilt the new kernel and everything worked just fine. All my VMs were intact. Intel Skylake Nook. Oh, oh sorry. Desktop number four. Intel Skylake Nook serving as my <laughs> living room home PC server. I was most concerned about this one because it runs every server under the sun. I have Apache running in Nextcloud and two separate WordPress instances, Plex, Samba, Mumble, and one other again, that distro. But the upgrade went very nicely. Booted up that machine and everything just worked with the exception of Plex, <laughs> which has an issue with the system unit file regarding SE Linux. See this post from Nagativo 17 and then he links to a blog but this is most likely a Plex issue not a Fedora issue after following the steps in the blog in the blog Plex booted up and worked just fine and my movie collection was unscathed desktop number five is a work router I have a old workstation PC that I have installed Fedora on and turned into a router it has three NICs and one Wi-Fi card and a host of network manager scripts to set them up <laughs> That computer's clearly not running Ubuntu. We can tell because he has network manager and Wi-Fi. Um, network manager scripts and set them up to make sure the routing goes through. I use this as a router and a network impairment simulator for work. Upgraded this to Fedora 24 and everything just works. Sorry for the long post, but I thought you guys might like to know about my Fedora upgrade experiences. My machines cover a pretty wide range of use cases and they all upgraded fine. This is in contrast to Ubuntu. I have never had an Ubuntu upgrade flawlessly as this me too. I also have had horrible luck trying to upgrade Ubuntu and I am very, very, very seriously considering dropping Ubuntu as our primary push for Linux when we start people off. And wow, them, really? Yeah, no, dude, it's so bad. It, this is a joke, man. This is a, a complete and total joke. I, I had a friend, we were traveling, and we installed Ubuntu on his machine, 16.04, and yep. he goes to start his machine up. And he goes to install a program. He double clicks on the dev. It opens up with software center. He clicks install. He's like playing ping pong. Goes install and it goes not install. Then it clicks on install. Yeah. It goes to install and it goes not install. The application never installs. So finally I tell him, well, just drop to a terminal, install GW and install. Yeah, right. So he's not an idiot. So he does this begrudgingly and making fun of me. And says, what a joke of an operating system, right? He installs his software. And then he goes to run it. Doesn't show up in the applications menu. Why? Uh. Oh, you got to restart. Why do I have to restart? Is this Windows? No, it's not. But you got to restart. Just a joke. I just, I don't, I don't get it. And then the, the, you know, I think part of it is, and I'm pulling a Chris here. 
I think I'm more upset with the fact that nobody else is upset about this. Like, everyone else is like, mm, the upgrade to 1604 seems to work fine for me. Like, I've had it running on like five different <laughs> machines. I've had the exact same problem. I'm not that dumb. I feel yeah, like right. maybe I am. All right, Wes, before we get out of here, is there anything you would like to add? Where can uh, people find like, you? I feel like for a long time, I haven't even thought about doing upgrades, right? It was just easier to have like a better, you know, keep track of what I've actually installed, keep everything separate, have everything sync back down. But if, if, if we can finally get somewhere where we can, you know, we have dependency management, we should be able to figure this out. If we can actually get there, we can have one streamlined distribution with updated packages, mm-hmm. good integration with all the latest things. But I don't know. That, I can see the Fedora love coming my way too. That's awesome. I love it. Anything you want to add in general before we get out of here, Wes? Where can people find so. you during the week? Are you on, are you uh, on the Twitter sphere? I am. Just uh, hit me up at at Wes Payne. I'm at Kernel Linux. You can follow the, the, the network at Jupiter Signal. And also before we get out of here, here is my... Stop it. Don't do that. So here is my, uh, here's, here's my, here's my, uh, my stretch goal. Uh, I'm going to figure something out. All right. Let's see here. Uh, the way this network works is obviously we have sponsors that are a valuable part of the network. But the other thing that we have is you can directly support the network by going to patreon.com slash today. Now we have 648 patrons. Now the last, I think twice now I have failed to achieve the number of patrons I want to achieve. I want to get to, let's see here, we're at 648. So somehow I'm going to find a way to get us to 660. And I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do that. But it is probably going to involve giving something away. So uh, starting right now on the Linux Action Show, if you uh, if you sign up as a patron between now and the time that Chris gets back, send me an email, Noah at JupiterBroadcasting.com, and make sure to include something that I can verify with Angela that's actually you that signed up for the thing. I don't actually know how I'm going to make this work. I'm just I'm coming up with it on the fly. That's what I'm doing. But Something is going. Something good is going to happen to some one of you. Let's see. It would be twelve people that sign up from Patreon between now and the time that Chris gets back. Something good is going to happen. You mark my words. I don't know what that is. I'm going to figure it out Ooh, after I get off the. I'm not time. I'm, I'm figure that out. Are you? Are you a patron? Are you going to sign up now? Oh, I'm already. A oh, patron. you're already a patron. Okay. Of well, course. Then you don't get to be included. No, nope. you don't get to be included. But patron, so let's help, help us out, audience. I'm curious. We need to know. Yeah, you need to know. Somebody's going to walk away with something cool. I just don't know what that is yet. I'm going to find out though. I'm going to, as soon as I figure it out. Patreon.com slash today. You can follow the network on Twitter at Jupiter Signal. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click on the contact link. Choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. And yes, please choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. When you choose things like General Comments or Linux Unplugged, they go to different shows and it's not the Linux action show and then they don't necessarily get no addressed. No one doesn't have time to clean this up, guys. Well, Barely have time to well they get forwarded anyway. to me, right? Sometimes. But I, sometimes like I get up like, you know, other people in the network will forward like a batch of them and I don't necessarily always have time to, to go through them. But if you send it to the Linux action show, we'll read it and it might even make it on the air. If you have questions too, we'd love to answer questions for you. Uh, jblive.com or uh, sorry, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar converts everything into your local time zone, which was super useful for me last week. And I'm sure it's useful for Chris as he's trying to make sure that we don't burn the house down while he's gone. Um, I think that is about it. Join us on Tuesday for Linux Unplugged. I'm going to be here all week uh, filling in for Chris. I'm going to be doing Coda Radio tomorrow and then Linux Unplugged on Tuesday. Me and my friends, we hang out almost every night in the mumble room, but we're going to be doing a show uh, it's like a virtual lug. It's actually where we drug Wes, I'm gonna, and, and we had to uh, we had to beat him up and drag him over here for the big show. Thanks for being here, Wes. 
Hey, it's my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. All right, everyone. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. We'll see you right back here next week. I literally just unplugged this computer. (laughs) That's great. Oh, no, it's repeating. Oh, well. Well, let's hope I remember everything about Linux Academy. Wes is like, did Noah freeze? Did he freeze? (laughs) He freeze. He totally froze. No, I didn't freeze. We'll see you right back here next week. Rikai, how long do I have to hold this smile before you have a cut point? Is that good? Okay, that's good.